Introduction to the Formation of Vegetable Molds Through the Action of Worms With Observations on Their Habits This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan The Formation of Vegetable Molds Through the Action of Worms With Observations on Their Habits by Charles Darwin. Introduction. The share which worms have taken in the formation of the layer of vegetable mould, which covers the whole surface of the land in every moderately humid country, is the subject of the present volume. This mould is generally of a blackish colour and a few inches in thickness. In different districts it differs but little in appearance, although it may rest on various subsoils. The uniform fineness of the particles of which it is composed is one of its chief characteristic features, and this may well be observed in any gravelly country, where a recently ploughed field immediately adjoins one which has long remained undisturbed for pasture, and where the vegetable mould is exposed on the sides of a ditch or hole. The subject may appear an insignificant one, but we shall see that it possesses some interest, and that the maxim, de minimis lex non curet, does not apply to science. Even Elie de Beaumont, who generally undervalues small agencies and their accumulated effects, remarks, Footnote, Leçon de Géologie Pratique, Volume 1, 1845, page 140, end of footnote. La couche très mince de la terre végétale est un monument d'une haute antiquité, et, par le fait de sa permanence, un objet digne d'occuper le géologue capable de lui fournir les remarques intéressantes. Although the superficial layer of vegetable mould, as a whole, no doubt, is of the highest antiquity, yet, in regard to its permanence, we shall hereafter see reason to believe that its component particles are in most cases removed, at not a very slow rate, and are replaced by others, due to the disintegration of the underlying materials. As I was led to keep in my study during many months worms in pots filled with earth, I became interested in them, and wished to learn how far they acted consciously, and how much mental power they displayed. I was the more desirous to learn something on this head, as few observations of this kind have been made, as far as I know, on animals so low in the scale of organization, and so poorly provided with sense organs as are earthworms. In the year 1837, a short paper was read by me, before the Geological Society of London. Footnote. Transactions of the Geological Society, Volume 5, page 505, read November 1st, 1837. End of footnote. On the formation of mould, in which it was shown that small fragments of burnt marl, cinders, etc., which have been thickly strewn over the surface of several meadows, were found after a few years lying at a depth of some inches beneath the turf but still forming a layer. This apparent sinking of superficial bodies is due, as was first suggested to me by Mr. Wedgwood of Meyer Hall in Staffordshire, to the large quantity of fine earth, continually brought up to the surface by worms, in the form of castings. These castings are sooner or later spread out, and cover up any object left on the surface. I was thus led to conclude that all the vegetable mould over the whole country has passed many times through, and will again pass many times through, 
the intestinal canals of worms. Hence the term animal mold would be in some respects more appropriate than that commonly used of vegetable mold. Ten years after the publication of my paper, M. d'Archac, evidently influenced by the doctrines of Elie de Beaumont, wrote about my singulaire théorie, and objected that it could be applied only to les prairies bases et humides, and that les terres labourées, les bois, les prairies élevées n'apportent aucune preuve à l'appui de cette manière de voir. Footnote. Histoire des progrès de la géologie, volume 1, 1847, page 224. End of footnote. But M. Tarchec must have thus argued from inner consciousness, and not from observation. For worms abound to any extraordinary degree in kitchen gardens, where the soil is continually worked, though in such loose soil they generally deposit their castings in any open cavities or within their old burrows, instead of on the surface. Henson estimates that there are about twice as many worms in gardens as in cornfields. Footnote. Zeitschrift für Wissenschaft, Zoologie, B. 28, 1877, page 361. End of footnote. With respect to prairie élevée, I do not know how it may be in France, but nowhere in England have I seen the ground so thickly covered with castings as on commons, at a height of several hundred feet above the sea. In woods again, if the loose leaves in autumn are removed, the whole surface will be found strewed with castings. Dr. King, the superintendent of the Botanic Garden in Calcutta, to whose kindness I am indebted for many observations on earthworms, informs me that he found, near Nancy in France, the bottom of the state forests, covered over many acres with a spongy layer, composed of dead leaves and innumerable worm castings. He there heard the professor of Amonagement de Forêt lecturing to his pupils, and pointing out this case as a, quote, beautiful example of the natural cultivation of the soil. For year after year, the thrown-up castings cover the dead leaves, the result being a rich humus of great thickness. Quote. In the year 1869, Mr. Fish, footnote, Gardner's Chronicle, April 17, 1869, page 418, and a footnote, rejected my conclusions, with respect to the part which worms have played in the formation of vegetable mould, merely on account of their assumed incapacity to do so much work. He remarks that, quote, considering their weakness and their size, the work they are represented to have accomplished is stupendous, end quote. Here we have an instance of that inability to sum up the effects of a continually recurrent cause, which has often retarded the progress of science as formerly in the case of geology, and more recently in that of the principle of evolution. Although these several objections seem to me to have no weight, yet I resolve to make more observations of the same kind as those published, and to attack the problem on another side, namely, to weigh all the castings thrown up within a given time in a measured space, instead of ascertaining the rate at which objects left on the surface were buried by worms. But some of my observations have been rendered almost superfluous by an admirable paper by Hansen, already alluded to, which appeared in 1877. Before entering on details with respect to the castings, it will be advisable to give some account of the habits of worms from my own observations and from those of other naturalists. 
End of the introduction.